Minus 15. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Oh my goodness. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the warehouse at Oriole Park at Camden Yards, it is the Masson All Access Podcast brought to you by Toyota. For legendary safety and reliability, choose Toyota and let's go places. Paul Mancano joined by Brendan Mortensen and Brendan I am serving as both host and producer today. So everybody, please forgive any technical flubs. That's just what yeah. we're working with when the Orioles make some breaking news on a Saturday morning. Yeah, really no regard for any of our Saturday plans. No. Luckily, Team USA had already played, unfortunately lost. But that, that was what my Saturday involved. And then the Orioles decide to make a bunch of news. And here we are, working on a Saturday. Yeah, and this latest piece of news, which is the Orioles agreeing to a deal with veteran righty Kyle Gibson, comes on the heels of two other moves made yesterday. So they add some bats yesterday. They add some pitching today. We're going to get into all of the moves that the Orioles made over the last 24 hours. Kind of a flurry of roster additions over those last 24 hours. So, Brendan, let's start with the biggest news. I know we're not going in chronological order, but I think people want to talk the most about Kyle Gibson because he was signed to a major league deal. We don't yet know the terms, but we do know that it is a one-year contract. And we do know that he is being signed more as a back end of the rotation kind of piece. I know the, a lot of Orioles fans were hoping and expecting the Orioles to go out there and get a top tier or perhaps second tier starting pitcher in free agency. I think you and I would agree with Orioles fans that that's still a need for the O's even after this Kyle Gibson signing because Gibson does not really bring top tier or even second tier stuff. But what he does bring veteran leadership, innings, and a lot of the same things that Jordan Lyles brought the Orioles in 2022. Yeah, I don't want to speak in absolutes because I am... Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Michael Elias, exactly. I am not Michael Elias, and it is not my money, and it is not my offseason. However, I think the most important thing to keep in mind with this signing of Kyle Gibson is that I do not believe the Orioles are done signing a starting pitcher. I really don't. I, I don't think that Kyle Gibson fits the description of one of those tier two or tier three starting pitchers that you mentioned, Paul. I think he is a little bit lower down that list. He best profiles as a pretty solid number four or number five starter in your rotation. He does not profile as a number two or number three starter in your rotation. So again, I am not 100% sure that this is the case but I would be very, very surprised if the Orioles don't go get another starting pitcher in addition to Kyle Gibson, whether that's through free agency or via trade. Yeah, so what Kyle Gibson does bring to the table is a guy who was, two years ago, an all-star. He was traded at the deadline to the Philadelphia Phillies in the middle of the 2021 season. He has had a very rough season and a half in Philadelphia before hitting free agency. Now, he was a member of the postseason roster for that Phillies team that went to the World Series in October and November, but he wasn't really relied upon to be 
a starter really at all in the postseason or even used in high leverage situations. So Kyle Gibson, who was acquired a year and a half ago as an all-star pitcher, was expected to be a bigger part of that rotation. And when that Phillies team made the postseason and made the World Series, was had kind of worked his way out of the starting conversation because he really hit fell on hard times. Jordan Lyles, I think what he brought to the table and why the Orioles were strongly considering bringing him back on his $11 million option for 2023, he brought consistency. You pretty much knew what you were going to get from Jordan Lyles. It was going to be between a 430 or 450 and a 550 ERA pretty much every year. Kyle Gibson is a little bit more uncertain, but I think he has a little bit of a higher ceiling than Jordan Lyles does. Probably a lower floor. He is four or five years older. He's 35 as opposed to Jordan Lyles, who's 30, 31. But I think he has shown in the past that he can be a better pitcher than he showed in Philadelphia these past two years. And I think that if he hits his ceiling, I think you could say that Kyle Gibson could provide more quality innings than Jordan Lyles. But you're taking a risk in terms of his age, being 35 as opposed to 31. And you're taking a risk that this tough 18-month stretch that he had in Philadelphia isn't a trend going forward. Yeah, we're getting a lot of comments wondering why the Orioles didn't just bring back Jordan Lyles because on the surface, they seem to be very similar pitchers. But I agree with you, Paul. I think Kyle Gibson just has a higher upside. You mentioned the struggles that he had in Philadelphia. I would argue that the Phillies were probably the worst place that Kyle Gibson could have pitched. I don't think there was a worse situation for Kyle Gibson, who is a ground ball pitcher. He induces ground balls over 50% of the time. And the Phillies had one of, if not the worst, defense in all of baseball. So yes, on the surface, the 505 ERA that Kyle Gibson posted last year was not good, but his expected ERA was down at 446, and he had a FIP, which is fielder independent pitching, of 428. Those are not an exact science, but it does go to tell you that maybe Kyle Gibson got a little bit unlucky given the defense that he had behind him to work with. And I'm not saying that Kyle Gibson is going to return to his 2021 form, but let's not forget that this guy was an all-star two years ago, had a great season, had an ERA under three in the first half of the year with the Texas Rangers. Then he goes to Philly and struggles. So I'm not saying that we're going to see the all-star Kyle Gibson in Baltimore. I'm just saying that it might be a little bit better than what we saw last year in Philly in the back half of 2021. So what I will say about the all-star appearance by Kyle Gibson is it is another example of how all-star appearances and all-star nods can be deceiving at times because really all you need is a good first half of the season to be an all-star because the all-star game happens in July. And that's exactly what Kyle Gibson had. His first half of the season, he had an ERA under three. This is in 2021 before he was traded to the Philadelphia Phillies. And he very much deserved that all-star nod. But after he got traded, ERA over five. And then in 2022, the trend continued as well. The concern for me as well, looking at what he did in Philadelphia, I know that he is a ground ball pitcher and certainly he was victim of some poor defense behind him and fielding fielder independent pitching kind of is a big number that I think that I'm glad that you brought that up because it it takes away it strips away defenses just strikeouts walks and home runs three true outcome baseball 
And in a park, Philadelphia Citizens Bank Park is a small, hitter-friendly ballpark. So for him to not allow as many home runs and to keep the ball in the yard and on the ground is certainly a good sign. But I will also say he really struggled in September this past year. And that's part of the reason he worked his way out of the conversation once that team made the postseason because he had an ERA close to 10 in the month of September. And that's been a trend throughout his career. He has his highest ERA in the month of September. And for somebody who's going to be 35 this year, that is certainly a concern if he's getting worse throughout the season. But on the other flip, on the other hand, when you're looking at Jordan, at Jordan Lyles, when you're looking at Kyle Gibson, in theory, the Orioles could be could have a better starting rotation by the end of the season than they will at the start of the season. You're going to get John Means back midway through the year. You're going to have Grayson Rodriguez, who will be halfway through his rookie year, so maybe he will have figured some things out. You could have some debuts from some rookies, whether it's Drew Rahm or somebody like that coming up for the, the minor league system. You could have D.L. Hall having worked his way into that rotation and being a steady piece there. So the rotation by season's end might not need Kyle Gibson as much as the rotation at season start will need Kyle Gibson. And we don't know the exact dollar amount that the Orioles are signing Kyle Gibson for at this point. We know that Jordan Lyles would have cost $11 million to bring back for the 2023 season. Well, I will say, I mean, that is if you picked up his if option. If you picked up his option. If you, you declined his option. $11 million yeah, on if you Jordan de- Lyles. If you declined his option, I mean, and they did, they could still go out and sign him for maybe less than $11 million. Sure, but I think the point I was trying to make was that Kyle Gibson is probably cheaper yes. than the $11 million option that you had for Jordan Lyles. And I think their floors are pretty similar, and I think Kyle Gibson has a higher ceiling. Last year in Baltimore, Jordan Lyles had one of the best seasons of his career. Kyle Gibson last year had probably one of, again, if not the worst season of his career. So if you are banking on the ceiling that you could potentially get from Kyle Gibson, then maybe he is a deadline piece. Maybe he's just a good depth piece. But again, that's the important thing to keep in mind here. I don't think the Orioles are done addressing starting pitching. If this is all they do in the offseason, if they don't make another trade or just a trade for a starting pitcher, if they don't make another free agent signing and add to that rotation, then sure, I think you could look back at this offseason and say, yeah, they missed an opportunity to get a better starting rotation. But I don't think that's the case. I think this is a cheaper and probably better alternative to Jordan Lyles, who could give you a higher ceiling and does a lot of the same things that Lyles did for you last year that didn't really show up in an ERA stat sheet sort of way. Kyle Gibson didn't pitch quite as many innings as Jordan Lyles last year, but only had about 12 fewer, and he brings a similar veteran presence to a starting rotation that is filled with young guys that you are going to be relying on this year. John Means is still out at the beginning of the season, Probably won't see him until about halfway through the year, recovering from Tommy John. So you're left with Kyle Bradish, Dean Kramer, maybe Grayson Rodriguez, and Tyler Wells. Those are the guys that are going to be leading your starting rotation. You needed a veteran arm in there. I think Jordan Lyles provided a lot for those young guys in terms of just, you know, how to go about your business every day, how to be a big league starter. And those young starters are probably going to be the better pitchers on this team. But I think there's something to be said for the value that Gibson gives you as a veteran pitcher who's been around the league a lot 
in a starting rotation with not a lot of experience. Yeah, he's going to eat innings. I mean, we can probably bring out the nom nom noms again. He will. Yeah. I think I think once he gets on the mound and you look at the September that he struggled with that I mentioned, he still was delivering six or seven innings. Even though he was giving up five or six runs in a lot of those starts, he really only had one blow up outing in the month of September where he went one and two thirds. And I think that was the game that he allowed back to back to back to back home runs in the first inning. Yeah. So he really, he imploded down the stretch, but he was still pitching a lot of innings. He was still getting deeper into games. You hope you don't have those kind of blow up outings from him uh, in 2023. But the point being, he will be eating innings. And for the people that make the comparison, this probably won't be a, a popular argument to bring up when you're talking about a guy who, look, Kyle Gibson had a worse 2022 than Jordan Lyles. I totally understand that. And he is three years older. Lyles is 32, just turned 32, whereas Gibson is 35. But over the course of their careers, like you said, Brendan, Gibson has been a much better pitcher. I mean, yes, he has that one all-star nod and Lyles doesn't have any. But if you look at career war as well, baseball reference has Kyle Gibson at 14.1 war, whereas... Jordan Lyles, baseball reference war, negative 1.4. So over the course of their careers, I know 2022, Jordan Lyles was a better pitcher than Kyle Gibson, but the Orioles are banking on 2022 and the second half of 2021 being a blip for Gibson. And they are expecting this guy who, look, he, he throughout the course of his career, he hasn't been a huge strikeout guy, doesn't have incredible velocity. So the hope is that he will age better than some guys who might rely on velocity or strikeouts a little bit better. Typically, ground ball pitchers tend to age a little bit better, and he's just had a better career than Jordan Lyles has to this point. Yeah, has a more proven track record, and if there's one thing that I've learned about the Orioles over the last year or two, it's that they have been able to find pitchers that have a skill that works and a skill that they like they have been able to really get the best out of pitchers. We've seen what the Orioles have been able to do with guys like Felix Bautista, Jorge Lopez, pitchers that other teams didn't really want much to do with, but the Orioles were able to find things that worked for them. And Kyle Gibson, I think, is a really good fit on this Baltimore team. If the Orioles are able to continue their pretty stellar defense from last year, Gibson goes from probably the worst defense in all of baseball to one of the better defenses in baseball with the Orioles, and Gibson is a sinker-cutter-slider pitcher. And as we've seen at the latter half of last year on the Orioles, the most effective pitches, not even the most effective pitchers, the most effective pitches that were used in the Orioles' starting rotation were the sinker and cutter. We saw Kyle Bradish and Dean Kramer start to have a lot of success with those pitches towards the back half of the year. If the Orioles are just feeling confident in how they're able to develop these sinker-cutter pitchers, maybe they see what Gibson has shown so far and think they can get more out of his two primary pitches. I'm glad you brought up the defense because the Orioles will not be returning the exact same defense that they had in the bulk of the 2022 season. They're not going to bring back unless something changes. I don't see it likely. They could still bring him back, but Rugnet Odor is likely out the door. He, yes, he was bad offensively for the Orioles in 2022, but he did turn a nifty double play and provided some above average defense, I think you could say, at second base. Gunnar Henderson was not 
on the big league roster for the vast majority of the season. He joined the team right before the month of September. He certainly has the ability to play quality defense at shortstop, at third base, maybe even at second base. We just haven't seen it at the big league level. So you're relying on a rookie providing above average defense. Ramon Arias, assuming he's going to be your opening day third baseman, that could change. They could sign somebody. He's going to provide great defense, but there are more question marks in this infield defensively going into 2023. They could address that. They could go out and sign a shortstop if they so choose and move Gunnar Henderson to third base or second base. And Jordan Westberg is the big question mark here. We've heard glowing reports about his defense at shortstop, third base, second base, all three of those positions. We just haven't seen it at the big league level. So Kyle Gibson is going to have a different defense behind him than a lot of Orioles pitchers had in 2022. Doesn't mean it's going to be worse. Doesn't mean, you know, it very well could be better, but it is going to be a different unit defensively around the diamond than what the Orioles put on the field in 2022. He will, but that being said, it's going to be better than Philly. I mean, Jorge Mateo is an excellent defensive shortstop. Yeah, yeah, to be worse. Right. Ramon Arias was literally the best defensive third baseman. He got the gold glove, had the most defensive run saved at that spot. Even if Ramon Arias doesn't end up playing a lot of third base, that could be Gunnar Henderson's spot, then he might play an excellent second base defensively. And Gunnar Henderson... We have already seen the really good defense. He has been touted as a very good defensive shortstop and an excellent defensive third baseman. So even if it's a differently constructed infield, I think the defense might even be improved from last year. Even if you have to to move Ramon Arias off of his gold glove spot at the hot corner and move him to second base, I still think the defense is going to be really good. I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think, again, my point is just that there are question marks in the defense, sure. but it would be very difficult to have a worse infield defense yeah. in 2023 than the Phillies had in 2022. So Kyle Gibson will certainly uh, benefit from that, I think. But going forward, we mentioned it off the top, but I think that the Orioles still need to address starting pitching. I don't think that they're done, and I don't think that they should be done. All the names that we mentioned are intriguing options. Grayson Rodriguez has the ability to be an ace at some point in his career, maybe even as a rookie. Dean Kramer looked great last year. You have Kyle uh, Bradish, who looked very good at times last year, but wasn't incredibly consistent. You're still going to need some starting pitchers. D.L. Hall has the ability to be very good, but did not look very good coming out of the bullpen last year. Even if you insert Kyle Gibson into the back end of this rotation, you could still use another veteran. It doesn't have to be Justin Verlander. It doesn't have to be Carlos Rodon. I was going to say Jacob DeGrom, but he signed with the Rangers last night. It can be a second-tier pitcher. It can be a Jamison Tyone, as we promoted in our free agency bracket. It can be a Chris Bassett. It can even be somebody further down the line, like a Noah Syndergaard. But the Orioles still need to address starting pitching. I don't think you can go into next year and say Kyle Gibson was our one big addition to this starting rotation. We feel like we can compete with these five guys in the American League East. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And just to address some of the comments that we're getting as we're live on Facebook, there's a lot of disappointment in this move, which I'm not really getting because it's not it's not the move. You just mentioned it, Paul. I don't think the Orioles are done acquiring starting pitching talent. You could be disappointed if Kyle Gibson is the only starter that you leave this offseason with, but I would just be very, very surprised if that's the case. 
And you have to take this Kyle Gibson signing for what it is, which is a good depth starting pitcher. He is a pretty quality number four or number five starter across this league. The Phillies were a good team this year. They were expecting to be a good team going into the year, and they were comfortable with Kyle Gibson as their number four, number five starter. I don't see any reason that the Orioles shouldn't be comfortable with Kyle Gibson as your number four or number five guy. I still think Baltimore will be active when looking at guys like Noah Syndergaard. We've heard rumors about the Orioles reportedly having a meeting with him. We've heard rumors about Jamison Tyone. I still think the Orioles will end up with one of those tier two, tier three guys. There's also the possibility that they end up with Carlos Rodon, which would probably be best case scenario if you are looking for a big time starting pitcher. But let's not overreact to this Kyle Gibson news and make it a bigger deal than it is. This is a deal for a quality back end of the rotation starting pitcher I really don't think this is how the Orioles are trying to address their top two or three starters in the rotation. When it comes to overreacting to roster moves, everybody loves to do it. Orioles fans, especially during the offseason, and I get it. Yeah, The big move has not been made, and we assume that there are some big moves coming, but you see what the Orioles have and you say, that's not enough. Well, it's December 3rd. We still yes. have plenty of time. We haven't even gotten to San Diego and winter meetings yet, so... Let's all take a breath and just take each roster move individually and hope that there is something bigger on the horizon. Brendan, I do want to talk about the two bats that the Orioles got yesterday, but before we get into that, because we're on the starting pitching conversation, we haven't had a chance yet to really discuss, other than Brett Hollander with Brett Hollander last week, the connection of the Orioles being made to some trade pieces and some starting pitchers who could be available via trade this offseason. Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic connecting them to Tarek Skubal, to Corbin Burns, to Pablo Lopez, to Zach Plesak. Corbin Burns is the prize. If you can get Corbin Burns, I think that that, that will dramatically change your offseason. But even if they go out and try to acquire, use some of their prospects and try to acquire a Skubal, try to acquire a Lopez... That is another avenue that is perhaps under-discussed because it's harder to know exactly which one of these four guys is available, if any of these guys are available. But that is a way that the Orioles could significantly improve the rotation if they go to, decide to go the trade route. Yeah, this is kind of the weird point of the rebuild where we have worked so long to build up this incredible talent pipeline that the thought of trading one of these top prospects away for a high-end starting pitcher almost seems a little bit crazy right now, given where we are and where we thought the Orioles would be going into this season. But at a certain point, this has to become part of why you built up that talent pipeline. You can't start four shortstops as much as you would like to. You can develop those guys and you can make them great prospects, but those guys just might turn into trade pieces. And if you can go get a Corbin Burns or Zach Plezak or Pablo Lopez if you have to give up one of your better prospects to get that done, that's part of the reason that you have those prospects. You can't start every single member of your top 30. It's just not realistic. And it's not realistic to assume that all of those guys are going to turn into quality MLB players if you can go get a known commodity, especially Corbin Burns. I mean, Corbin Burns is arguably a top five pitcher in all of baseball. He is consistently in the NL Cy Young conversation it would take a lot to get him, but it would be worth it to get a bona fide ace, 
Pablo Lopez, another excellent pitcher as well. He's a tier below Corbin Burns, as pretty much all of these guys are. But Pablo Lopez, Skubal, I mean, Zach Plezak, all of these guys are solid pitchers that are probably going to, if they were to be traded to Baltimore, are instantly your second or third best starter in the rotation. Yeah, and you, you acquire these guys, you draft these guys, you develop these prospects in order for them to turn into good players for your team. But you also do it with the potential that they could be trade pieces because they provide value in that way as well. And I know we all want to see a Joey Ortiz, a Jordan Westberg come up and make their debuts in Baltimore after we've invested so much time and energy into watching them develop. But if they turn into a trade package for an ace starting pitcher, you can't be upset with that outcome because you still did a good job drafting, identifying the talent and developing them. And like you said, Brendan, this organization is the number one farm system in all of baseball. They're absolutely loaded with talent, especially in the infield. They've Gunnar Henderson already at the big league team. Jordan Westberg could make the opening day roster. Joey Ortiz is already in AAA. They have some intriguing outfielders with Colton Kowser and Heston Kerstad. Not every one of these guys is going to be able to play for the Baltimore Orioles. Some of these guys are going to either flame out or they're going to turn into trade pieces. And it makes sense for the Orioles who are not going to spend massive contracts on free agents every single winter like the Dodgers or like the Yankees. They have to find other creative ways to acquire talent. And trading for somebody who is going to cost a lot less than Carlos Rodon, for example, will cost in free agency, allows them to creatively acquire guys and keep them cost controlled for a couple of years. If you can get Carl or if you can get a Corbin Burns and have him on your team for the next two seasons while he is getting arbitration money, that is a some would say a better outcome or a better use of your finances than going out and spending $150 million, $200 million, whatever it's going to take to get Carlos Rodon. Those guys are going to cost a ton of money once they get to free agency. So if you can acquire them now by using some of your prospect depth, then it might make sense to have a cost-controlled piece on your team going forward. Yeah, it's tricky because... The way that the Orioles are constructed right now, I wouldn't call them in win-now mode. I think they are working towards building sustainable success over the next bunch of seasons in the AL East, but I wouldn't say that their window is limited to two or three years. And if you're trading for somebody like Corbin Burns, he might be going to a contending team that feels like they have a window of two years, that you still have Corbin Burns under team control until he hits free agency. I think if the Orioles are going to make a move for a starting pitcher, then they would have to be pretty sure that they would be able to re-sign that starting pitcher once they traded for him. Corbin Burns, I'm not so sure that he would re-sign a long-term deal if he were traded to Baltimore. He might be more apt to hit free agency and just get a ton of money on the open market, whereas guys like Skubal and Plesak and Pablo Lopez they might be a little more likely to sign a long-term deal if they were traded to Baltimore, maybe buy out their final years of arbitration before they hit free agency, because while they'd be making a good amount of money in free agency, it wouldn't be the boatload that Corbin Burns is going to be making. So I think those guys are a little bit more of realistic trade targets, because not only would you get them for the remaining years of team control that they have, 
but it might be more likely that you're able to re-sign them long-term and keep them around for, hopefully, the long window of winning opportunity that the Orioles are building. Exactly. All right, let's talk about the other two players that the Orioles acquired yesterday. One via waiver claim and one via a minor league contract. Let's start with the minor league contract and the slightly bigger name in Franchi Cordero, somebody who has bounced around from a lot of different organizations. I think there's this perception that he has incredible power, he has raw tools, but no team has yet been able to harness them and figure them out. And the Orioles right now are hoping that they can be that team that discovers how to use Franchi Cordero, how to get him to unlock his power, how to get him to cut down his swings and misses and his whiffs a little bit more. But the thinking here is Franchi Cordero on a minor league deal provides at least a little bit of depth with some upside. He is not going to be an everyday player, most likely, for the Orioles next year. Again, let's not overreact. I don't think they're done addressing the first base corner outfield position. But at the very least, if he makes the team, it's just a minor league contract, basically a split contract between minors and majors. He makes a certain amount if he makes the majors, a certain amount if he makes the minors. That's a low-risk way to acquire somebody who may have a little bit more upside than we've seen from him. Yeah, it's low-risk, high-reward. The upside has always kind of been there with Franchi Cordero, as you mentioned, and it seems like we've just been waiting for that raw power to come along, but he's now closer to 30 than he is to being a prospect. So it's kind of put up or shut up for Franchi Cordero right now. He had the most home runs in a season of his career last year, and it was only eight. But again, he does have that really great raw power. He was in the 99th percentile for max exit velocity last season. So if the Orioles are able to figure something out with his swing, then great. They need to work on the plate discipline as well. He has an absurdly high strikeout rate, and the defense is also just not very good. So if you can turn Franchi Cordero into a left-handed hitting power backup first baseman who can play passable defense, even if it's below average, and the strikeout rate cuts down from the mid 30 percent that it is in right now if you can get that down to even 25 percent with a decent amount of home runs during the season I think he is a pretty good backup first base option but that's a lot of ifs in the statement that I just made so it's a very low risk signing and if you're able to figure something out with Franchi Cordero that these past organizations have not been able to the potential might still be there yeah Cordero was part of the Andrew Benintendi trade the the first one a couple of years ago when Ben Benintendi uh, was traded by the Red Sox. So he was one of the bigger pieces in that deal. At that point, I think he was 26 years old. Now he's 28. He's going to make $1.35 million in if he's in the majors in 2023, and he's only going to make $450,000 if he's in the minors this year. So a split contract, so to speak. And when he got non-tendered by the Red Sox a couple weeks ago, Brendan, you and I discussed on the podcast the possibility of the Orioles picking him up, and we were saying essentially the same conversation. We were saying, you know, he was expected to make $1.5 million in arbitration. He may cost $1 or $1.5 million. He may have to take a minor league deal, and that's right around what the Orioles ended up giving him. Yeah. Again, it's just incredibly low risk. This is kind of a million-dollar see if he ends up working out in the minor leagues. He's put up pretty good numbers in the minor leagues throughout his career. It just hasn't really translated to the bigs. He showed flashes in Boston, just didn't really show enough of them to get some consistent playing time. 
I don't think even if he did show flashes with the Orioles that he would get a ton of consistent playing time. As you mentioned, I think Baltimore is probably still looking for that left-handed power bat, whether that's a first base type, a corner outfield type, whatever it might be. So I can't imagine Cordero would get a ton of reps at designated hitter if he makes the team. I imagine if he does end up winning the backup first baseman job, then he would just give Ryan Mountcastle some days off against right-handed pitching, maybe at home in Camden Yards, which is a left-handed hitting friendly ballpark at this point. So maybe he works out as that backup first base option. But if not, you have a pretty good minor leaguer at AAA Norfolk that could be an emergency option if you needed him. Yeah, I mean, he could just not make the team. Yeah, it's, it's entirely it's, possible yeah. that he just stays in AAA Norfolk, hangs around for the year. If you have some injuries, you could call him up, and maybe he just plays below average, and you don't get a ton from him. But there's not a lot of risk in giving him this contract. I remember when the Orioles signed Shedlong Jr. to a minor league contract as well last year, somebody who had some major league experience, and we just never saw him in Baltimore. He right. got hurt. And then just stayed in AAA Norfolk the whole season once he f- was fully rehabbed. That could be the outcome for Franchi Cordero. And then you're really only giving up $450,000 in that instance. You're not even giving him a 40 man roster spot right now. Right. So you are maintaining some roster flexibility and just picking him up as some insurance. Another guy that the Orioles acquired a lefty bat who can play first base, can't really play corner outfield, uh, unlike Franchi Cordero, is uh, Lewin Diaz. The Orioles claimed him yesterday afternoon. Good defensive first baseman. Unlike Franchi Cordero, who is... Great defensive first baseman. Yeah. Cordero's more of a poor corner outfielder, not even a great defensive first baseman. That's not the case with Lewin Diaz. Diaz, I think, offers similar things to what Cordero is. A a left-handed bat, a little bit of insurance, just a a waiver claim. So he's been dropped and picked up by multiple organizations. So he was... Played for the Marlins, was dropped by the Marlins, picked up by the Pirates a couple weeks ago, dropped by the Pirates. So, again, could be off the team, could be another Lucius Fox and be on the roster for a week, and then the Orioles decide, nah, don't want him. But you could have a backup first baseman here who can hit from the left side. Yeah, at least my perception with Lewin Diaz isn't that the organizations really wanted to lose him. I think they just wanted to get him to the minor league level and then weren't able to pass him through waivers because the Orioles were able to claim him for the second time he was claimed in just a few weeks here. You see the offensive numbers, not great. 567 OPS over his career, just 24 extra base hits in 112 games since his career started in that 2019 season. But he's still pretty young. He was a decent prospect in the Marlins system. He was top 15. He had a 60-graded power tool and a 70-graded fielding tool as a prospect, according to Fangraphs. Again, the power hasn't really showed up yet. Just five home runs last year. The strikeout rate was pretty bad at, again, over 30%. But he did show some really good flashes of power. Had a 693 OPS in 2021, even though the 2022 season was a little bit down. But with Diaz, at a minimum, you're getting an excellent defensive first baseman. I don't think that's going to be enough to have him make the team if he sticks around to spring training, but he had five defensive runs saved in 2022, nine defensive runs saved in 2021. So he he is an excellent defender. And if Ryan Mountcastle needs a day off, you would be more than comfortable putting Lewin Diaz at first base defensively. The question is whether or not you would want him in the lineup. And that power and the bat 
has to develop for him to be able to crack this roster. He could be a replacement for Tyler Nevin, who can play third base, which Diaz cannot, but Nevin hits from the right side. That is not a platoon option when you're going with right-handed hitting Ryan Mountcastle. So he could be a an upgrade simply over Tyler Nevin, and that might be okay. And it might give the Orioles a little bit more options if they want to go out and sign a lefty bat who is mostly an outfielder. We talked about them going out potentially and getting somebody like, um, like a Cody Bellinger who can play in the corner outfield but also play first base. Now they can go out and get somebody who is pretty much a corner outfielder and doesn't really have first base experience. Remember we were squinting at guys and saying, uh, could he play first base? Maybe Michael Brantley could play first base, even though he's never really done it. Now the Orioles, if they want to, maybe could say, we have backup first baseman covered for the most part. We can go out and get a corner outfielder. However, much like the Franchi Cordero signing, much like the Kyle Gibson signing, this is a please don't overreact plea from me because yes. we are not yet in winter meetings. The Orioles, I don't think that the combination of these two is going to be the end-all be-all for their moves offensively. I think they're still going to try to get a major league lefty bat, whether it's corner outfield, first base, wherever. I think that that guy is still yet to be signed by the Orioles, and it could come in the next week or so. Yeah, but as you mentioned, Paul, I think it's a really good point to note the fact that maybe the Orioles just want a left-handed hitting corner outfielder, regardless of whether or not they are capable of playing first base. I don't think Franchi Cordero and Lewin Diaz are incredible options, but I think the Orioles could be comfortable with a spring training battle between Franchi Cordero and Lewin Diaz for your backup first base role. That probably doesn't include designated hitter. It honestly probably doesn't include a lot of games that they play in. It might be 30, 40 games throughout the season, but if you were purely looking for a backup first baseman and the priority was getting a left-handed hitting outfielder rather than a left-handed hitting first base DH type of player, then I think you would be comfortable with Diaz and Cordero kind of battling it out for your backup first baseman role Because Diaz, as we mentioned, is an excellent defender and the bat isn't really there as much. Whereas Franchi Cordero, not as good defensively, but has flashed a lot of potential with the bat. I think you'd be fine with one of those guys as your backup first base option, but probably not as a designated hitter middle of the lineup bat. I think we could see another year where the Orioles decide to go all in on their platoons, decide to go all in on winning around the margins by giving guys days off when perhaps most people would say, keep that guy in the the lineup every single day, platooning somebody like Cedric Mullins against lefties, platooning Ryan Mountcastle, maybe at first base, if you have a good lefty option behind him. So the Orioles still have to do that winning around the, the corners. And maybe these two give them a little bit more flexibility to do that. But the big move could be coming next week, Brendan, in sunny San Diego. And by next week, I really mean tomorrow. Yeah. You and I are flying out tomorrow. We have, significant amount of packing yet to do yeah thanks orioles yeah today was the day where we were going to get organized we were going to make a target run we were going to pack we were going to do laundry because this has been a packed week and we thought that today would be the day that we could finally pack for san diego (laughs) oh we thought and boy were we wrong yeah uh some other housekeeping notes before we get out of here paul sure uh some other smaller roster moves daz cameron who the orioles picked up outrighted to triple a norfolk so he cleared through waivers jake cave did not 
clear waivers. He was claimed by the Phillies. There's another example of a player that just might be a trivia question because Jake Cave was on this team for, I think, about two weeks before he was claimed off of waivers by the Phillies. But it was clear that the Orioles wanted him in their minor league system as a depth piece rather than at the major league level competing for one of those outfield spots. He gets claimed by the Phillies. So the 40-man roster is now at 38 players after the Kyle Gibson signing. That is not yet official, I don't believe. But once that signing is made official, that would put them at 38 players, leaving them with two spots as we approach winter meetings, which could be two Rule 5 draft selections. It could be another signing, could be a trade, who knows. But the 40-man roster sits at 38 players once that Kyle Gibson signing is official. Two Rule 5 draft picks or maybe two Masson All-Access podcast hosts, Brendan. Are we going to get be. added to the 40-man roster? Maybe. I can I can play a decent second base. Honestly, just just put me in, Coach. Throw, exactly. throw me wherever you'd like me. Uh, we will have complete coverage from the winter meetings in the Manchester Grand Hyatt in San Diego, California on MassonSports.com and the Masson app on Facebook, on Twitter, wherever you get your Orioles news, you can find the Masson All-Access podcast. We usually do our podcast Wednesdays at 11 a.m., but this was breaking news. We had to cut in. However, we're going back to our 11 a.m. schedule next week. It'll be 8 a.m. San Diego time, but we will have a podcast for you. And if breaking news, if the Orioles go out and sign somebody bigger, in the meantime, we will have complete coverage as well on all of our social channels. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks to Paul Mancana for producing this podcast. Uh, at Brendan Morty is Brendan's Twitter handle. I am at Paul Mancano. And of course, the podcast today is brought to you by Toyota for legendary safety and reliability. Choose Toyota and let's go places. And we will see you very, very soon from sunny San Diego, California. Thanks so much for tuning in.